Good morning, my on Caleb. There we go. Good to see you guys this morning. Welcome. You know we have some guests here. We have some guests from out of town. We have some old old friends here. Not that they're old. They've just been friends for a while. I'm old. Uh, it's good to be with you guys this morning. It's been a good week. Uh, we had sports camp this week in North Lawrence, and that was a great week. And uh, so appreciative of those who served. Uh, North Lawrence and families up there this week. We also had our very first event this weekend in our new training space, and uh, it's fantastic. And looking forward to letting you guys see that soon. We're going to have a few open houses in August sometime, and uh, we'll let you get out there and take a look at that. And uh, it's been good. We've been speaking quite a bit the last several weeks about the shaping activity of God in our lives. We're doing this series called Exodus, Journey to Freedom. We're we're thinking about together what does it mean to become, to be a free person, not just politically free. We appreciate that. We're grateful for that. What does it mean to be free from the inside out in our lives? That's a journey for each of us that he has us on We've talked a lot about how God shapes us. It's through often the processes in our lives, through the commonplace, often the normal events, circumstances, and relationships of our lives. God uses those things to shape us. But that's not all there is to say about God's activity in our lives. For we do not serve a sleepy distant God. We serve a God who's active in our lives. If he weren't, he would be an idol. He would be someone that we've constructed. But he's actually God. He's the Lord of the universe. That's who we serve. This morning, we've reached kind of a pinnacle in this journey, at least in the book of Exodus, with the children of Israel, where we're going to see, where up to this point, we've seen God shaping the people today Uh, it's not going to be so much shaping. We're going to see God intervening in a person, in a people, in that part of the world. We're going to look at the 14th chapter of Exodus. We're going to cross the Red Sea today. So I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it pretty fast because we got some ground to cover this morning. But it's important that we hear it that we received God's word for us this morning. And then we're going we're gonna to see this God in this text that is not just active, but he's Lord. He's over all. So would you stand with me? I'll give you another opportunity to stand. If, if you want to sit and listen, you can do that as well. It'll be easier to see if you stand. Exodus 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near Pi Herioth, between Migdal and the sea. I didn't practice that word, by the way. You just, you know that. Between Migdal and the sea. There to camp by the sea. It sounds like a good vacation to me. It wasn't so much for them. Directly opposite Baal-Zephon, Pharaoh will think. The Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion They're hemmed in by the desert. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, but I 
will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified And cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. These Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to get moving. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. So throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other, so that neither went near the other all night long. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. With the wall of water on their right and on their left, the Egyptians pursued them. And all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch in the night, the Lord looked from the pillar of fire and clouds at the Egyptian army, and he threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving, and the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea again so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back into its place. The Egyptians were fleeing and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. So that day, the Lord saved Israel. From the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the shore. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the, Egypt, against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. They put their trust in Him and in Moses, His servant. I feel like I need to sit down and rest after that. Let's pray together. Lord, we read this story of 3,500 years ago. And we wonder what that was like. We wonder if it really happened that way. Lord, this morning would we discover a new, a fresh. Would you bring this story forward? Would you help us understand why it's been preserved? Would you help us see the Lord of time and place of kings and men and women Lord, in our crisis, would you bring that into our lives and speak as Lord to us? We thank you for the shaping of your Holy Spirit in our lives. But God, this morning we look at a powerful, strong Lord of the universe. Bring it home to us, we pray. Do what only your Holy Spirit can do in this moment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So we're transitioning from God shaping the people to God intervening the people. I want us to see, first of all, the Lord of time and place in this passage. I want you to see how God uses place to accomplish His purposes. God says to the Israelites, go and camp by the sea. He's laying out very specific instructions for them. He's dropping a pen on the map. And he's saying, go here. Not, any, not just anywhere, not there. Go here. Remember, God's already taking them a long way to the promised land. They could have taken the most efficient way. God said, don't go that way. Go this way. And now he's saying, now I want you to get to this place. I want you to get to this place so God could see a few things. He saw that when they got to that place, Pharaoh would come to some kind of conclusion. He wanted them to get to that place because God knew that place was going to create a dilemma for the people. It was going to create a dilemma of freaking or faithing. They're going to have to choose place, the geography of it, the culture of it. The community of it, the where of it, the who of it, the what of it, the why of it. Place is important to God, where your feet are. God carries out His purposes in our lives in place, where our feet are. 
You're saying, well, you're getting all this from this passage. He tells them to camp by the sea. Well, let's, I want you to listen to the words from the Apostle Paul as he addressed an ancient group of Greek philosophers. He said, from one man, God made every nation of men. that They should inhabit the whole earth. And God determined the times set for them. And the exact, what? Places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him, perhaps reach out and find him. Though he's not far from any of us. Why is he not far? Because every place is filled with God. It's all his. Place matters. God's involved in the times and the places of your life. Often this isn't evident to us. This isn't like the on the surface work of God. This is deeper work in his life. He's involved in your life being in the place that it's in. He has a hand in it. How's he used place in your life so far? What is your place now? Where is your place now? You may say, well, I'm only in this place a short time. I'm going to graduate or I'm just here for the summer. I'm just passing through. But And that may be true, but consider this, your tomorrow is not even guaranteed. You don't know tomorrow, you don't own it tomorrow, none of us do. God arranges the times and place for us. So be in the place God has you. Be there, no matter where or how long that place is. Every place is His. It belongs to Him. Learn to live in the place you are. We used to have an old cliche, hang, hang your pictures on the wall. People would sometimes move in and say, I'm not going to be here very long, so I just want to unpack. I'll just take out what I need. I would say, hang your pictures on the wall. Be here while you're here. Be wherever you are. Be there. You might get surprised on how much you grow, change, develop, if you'll learn to be fully present in the place you're at. The most strategic place in the world for your life is the place you're in. It's not San Francisco, it's not Boston, it's not Beijing, it's the place you're in. That's the most strategic place God has for you. So learn to live in place. God is Lord of your time and your place. Secondly, I want you to see God the Lord of all people, here of kings and of men. God says, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in confusion. They're hemmed in by the desert. And then now we're going to start to see the intervention of God. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. That will harden Pharaoh's heart. It's kind of harsh, isn't it? It's kind of a hard thing to really know what to do with. Would God just arbitrarily hijack Pharaoh's will and take over and reprogram his thoughts? It's a good question, isn't it, from this? I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And the short answer, and by the way, we could probably spend a weekend on that question. But the short answer is no, he wouldn't. And here's why he wouldn't. First of all, 
God doesn't do anything arbitrarily. God's determined the times and places for people to live. And he has a purpose for that. And he doesn't do that randomly. He's not rolling the dice in heaven. He's not sticking his finger in the wind. God's actually Lord. Secondly, keep in mind that Pharaoh has already hardened his own heart. He's already changed his mind and decided to pursue the Egyptians. This isn't the first time we've seen this phrase, God will harden his heart. It's just the first time we've talked about it. Throughout all those plagues, if you've been with us this summer, God's been hardening Pharaoh's heart. So we have these, these two phenomenon, if you will, going on. It's Pharaoh being resistant to the will of God and what God, God's given him opportunity after opportunity. Ten plagues, every one was an opportunity for Pharaoh to say, hey, we're going to do this differently. We're going to actually join with God rather than oppose him. He had opportunity after opportunity. Moses would go, please let our people go. And he resisted. And now we have this other phenomenon. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Well, how do those two things relate? Well, if you get this, you'll go a long way. That is above your pay grade. And it is above mine. How exactly they're related, Pharaoh hardening his heart and God doing it. But know this, this is clear. God is not hardening Pharaoh's heart against his own will. He's not hijacking Pharaoh. Pharaoh, he's not dealing with an innocent tool. He's not a victim. Pharaoh has made his choices and they've led him to this point. Is God involved in it? Yeah, it is. And, we, we, and this is the last point about this. Is like you, if you're going to deal with the Lord of the universe, there's some things above your pay grade that you're not fully going to get your head around. Get over it. God doesn't serve our agendas. He is God of the universe. If he wants to harden a heart to accomplish his broader purposes, he is God. And we are not. And that's just reality. God then says, I'll gain glory for myself. Pharaoh's resistance is going to result in honor to God. You know this, this word for gaining glory or honor? You know what? It has the same root as harden. Interesting. They're somehow related. Pharaoh's hardening and God's honoring here are related. This defeat of this like Hitler-like oppressor, Pharaoh... His defeat is going to lead to God's honoring. God will gain honor. And he does, by the way. If you go forward one chapter into chapter 15, after what ends we're going through today, these songs of praise raise up. Miriam, Moses' sister, writes a song. Moses writes a song. It's right there in Exodus 15. God is praised. He's honored. God's praise from his people have an important function in the world. God gets honor when his people praise. When we do worship like we've, we've done this morning, like we'll do when I'm, I'm done. That, that carries a function in the world that is often like, looks just like songs we're singing on the surface. There's other things going on when God gains honor from his people. We often don't see it. It's his deeper work. 
And so God proclaims, the Egyptian will know that I am the Lord. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I will gain glory through this. And the Egyptians will know, oh, this is where God's going. He's not an egomaniac. The Egyptians will know. Turns out, all this narrative isn't just about Israel. The story isn't Moses' story. Then all of Egypt will know that I am God the Lord. There's no mention of Israel here. Just God and the Egyptians. God is accomplishing a broader purpose. He's making himself known to a nation. Now the soldiers, they're going to have a really bad day today. But there's a nation that's watching this. It's interesting too, we won't spend time in this, but later when Israel starts going into the land God's promised them, you you may know the story, they send these spies into the land. And they connect with a woman there, her name's Rahab. Rahab's a prostitute that God uses in this place and in this time. And when the spies meet Rahab, you know what she says? It's in Joshua too, you can look it up later if you want. She says, we have heard what God did at the Red Sea. And so we beg you, don't wipe us out. We want to be with you. Oh, God could see that time and that place too. See, we often get focused on our thing. God's doing a whole lot more, and we have to learn to get used to that. Might might consider this. What if this would have gone differently? What if, like, Pharaoh would have been just a nice guy all the way through this? You know, what if the first time Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, let our people go, he'd have gone, cool. When are you going to be back? Never. Cool. Have fun. It could have gone that way. Pharaoh just could have been a really good guy. Then, you know what? We never would have got to the Red Sea. Then, maybe Egypt would never know. Then, maybe this land they're taking, the peoples there, they would have met Rahab. See, God is doing a lot. Sometimes what he's doing, we don't understand. It doesn't make sense to us. It's on the surface. It just looks like something terrible sometimes. God is at work. He is Lord of history, and we are not. God's directing his people to a specific place and time, and he's going to engage in specific activity. Even when life is falling apart, and it is for some folks today, God is Lord. So I want us to look at the human side of this equation now. I want to look at a a man and then a group that's going through this, And they're freaking out. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds and said, What have we done? We let the Israelites go. We've lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready. He took his army. He took 600 of his good chariots. And and by the way, all the rest of them too. And all their officers. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And he pursued the Israelites Pharaoh is freaking out. Think about what Pharaoh's been through. He, along with an entire nation, is suffering from grief. Each family lost their firstborn. And now this Moses 
who is taking in as an immigrant infant by his daughter is leading a rebellion, an exodus of two million people who, by the way, are very important to his nation's economy. Pharaoh's freaking out. He's completely flooded. And he's forgotten the reality of those plagues. What he saw God do over and over, that God was powerful. He was, he was Lord over those Egyptian gods. He was Lord over nature. He could, do, he could bring frogs or flies or fog or anything he wanted to do at any time. But Pharaoh's pride has hardened his heart. And now his hardened heart is blinding him. He's behaving with great insanity, as if those plagues never happened. He has refused to be shaped by God's work. He's only reacting. And so every chariot, every horse, every horseman, they're put to the chase of these escaping slaves. This is no minor military skirmish. This is like all hands on deck. Go get the Israelites. No expense is spared. Pharaoh and his officials are in full freak mode here. And it didn't take them long to catch the Israelites. They got chariots. Israelites have bare feet. They caught up with them pretty quick. But Pharaoh isn't the only one freaking out. Israel joins right in. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites look up, and there were the Egyptians. So they're terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there are no graves in Egypt? You brought us out here to die in the desert? What have you done to us? Didn't we say to you, leave us the heck alone? It had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. So now we have the soldiers and the sea on both sides of Israel. And they're in fear for their lives, understandably so. I think we would be too. But here's the problem. It's not the fear. Fear's a real emotion. It's, the, it's what's catapulting them into this frenzy, this full-blown spiral of self-pity and complaint. And blaming the boss. They bring a dark charge to Moses. You brought us out here to die. Now step back a minute. See, this is the kind of thing that occurs when we permit our fear and our anxiety to lead our response in the midst of our difficulty. We're like this. God's people are not responding any differently than Pharaoh. Their fear is fueling panic. And when our anxiety and our panic lead us, when we allow it to lead, guess what? Listen, there's little room for faith when fear and anxiety are leading you. The good God who has delivered you in the past, who has been present for you, whom you discovered as good, whom you've previously experienced perhaps, When you let your fear and anxiety lead you, you're going to be saying this. Where's God? Where is He? Because our eyes are on our crisis and not on Him. We're not anchoring our inner self on Christ. The truth is, 
God was fully present in this place, in this time, on this people. He was completely there, and he was attentive. But their eyes are on the crisis, and so how are they behaving? Like immature, underdeveloped little children. No different. No different than those who don't know God. Their focus is on the actions of Pharaoh. They're experiencing the nearness of their crisis. Not of God. Where is God? Well, he's not in their minds and hearts, not in their experience anyway. That's clear. They're still thinking and behaving like slaves, not like free people that have a choice. They're victims. They're victims. There's going to be a lot more shaping that's take place for these people. I want to show you a couple of clips. I love the water. Um, I like white water. I like creeks, ponds, rivers, oceans. This second Jeremy will start in just a second. Um, I like the water. Put me on top of a ladder or up in the air, I hate it. I hate airplanes. I hate ladders. I hate getting up high. But put me in the water, I love it. So I, I chose a couple of water clips since we're talking about the sea today. So this first one here is uh, when water is not so kind. It's just a short little 15-second clip. You can go ahead and roll that, Jeremy. And no sound. I just want you to see this. Like, this is a bad day for the captain here. Some of you just fills you with <laughs> You see that? <laughs> That's a bad day. Yeah, uh, so, life feels this way sometimes, doesn't it? Hopefully it doesn't throw you out of the boat like that. But it does feel that way. Uh, some of you have had a week like that this week. You just feel like you just threw me out. And whether it's busyness or anxiety, something internal, or just the circumstances of your life. could be health. could be a lot of things. It just feels like life is jerking me around. I'm being thrashed in a sea of white water. Anybody relate to that? Yeah, it really feels that way sometimes. But there's another reality. I want you to watch this clip. We'll darken a little bit here so you can see it. This is the cool thing about water. Behind all that storm that's going on, thrashing around, go down a couple hundred feet and you got this going on. Playful fish, just beauty, order. They have no idea that's going on with that dude on top of the surface. They're just down there being what they be. They're doing what they do. They're enjoying themselves. That's good, thanks. <laughs> he's, he's explaining it for us. <clears throat> Here's the deal. We have to learn and be shaped to not just react to what's happening on the surface of our lives. Part of being shaped by God is to re realize there's a deeper reality going on. There's something else happening. It's still a crisis. It's still hard. You don't have to, like, deny that. It's okay to have fear. <clears throat> it's okay to have anxiety. When you let those things lead you, all you'll feel is getting thrown out of the boat. That's all you'll know. 
But when you will remind yourself, we're going to read a psalm in just a few minutes that helps us remind ourselves that there's something else going on here. That the hand of God is actually involved. God is not absent or distant. Listen to how Moses responds to them. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance of the Lord. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Moses responds with words of courage and grace, not anger and frustration. It seems like Moses, the shaping that's been going on these 80 years of Moses, is starting to take some root. Earlier, he would have responded with a lot of frustration. He doesn't. He stands and he speaks the word of the Lord. Do not be afraid. He's, he's pouring assurance into them that their worst fears aren't going to be realized. They're not dying in the desert. Not today. Not this place. Not this time. He's bringing the promise of God to a people who've already have a boatload of trauma in their lives. And he's saying, you stand firm and you be still and you watch what God does. Stand firm. It's military talk. Stand firm. The original language means something like stand your ground and fight. But there's a twist on the word here. It means stand firm and watch. You don't have to fight today. This is not your battle. Be still and watch God fight. Think about all that had led up to that moment. 430 years of being an enslaved people, multiple generations, people mistreated by crude, ruthless rulers. They've watched plagues wreak havoc on their neighbors. They've left the only home they've known in a hurry. They're following the leadership of a man they're not convinced they can trust. And they're running from their lives from an angry band of predator warriors. And now God's word comes to them. Lord will fight for you. You be still. All that they've done has led them to this point of intervention. Plagues, Passover, preparation. God says, be still. Pause. You stand and you watch. This is their hour decision. It's not a call to passivity. It's a call to see God. He is about to act. Will they trust after everything they've done Everything they've been through, will they now demonstrate bold, confident, radical obedience in their God? Will they obey His Word instead of freaking out? Will they be still and trust Him to work in the middle of their crisis? Boy, God's Word comes to us in our crisis and meets us right there. I want to read Psalm 46 to you. It's an important psalm when you should... It's not going to be up here. I'm just going to read it. Most of it. God is our refuge and our strength. An ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way. Though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea... Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. But God lifts His voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says this, Be still. Know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So last night, it was about 9 o'clock, and on Saturday night, you know, I'm either in a really good place with a message, or I'm like, I don't know what God wants to say. And last night was one of those nights. And I had, I had these, you know, three or four, like, I don't know, pithy, insightful takeaways from this passage. And I was like, God, I, I know I'm missing it. I just don't know where. And I just kept reading the passage over, just prayerfully crying out to God, God, speak to our people this morning. And, and then it, it dawned on me. I'm not even sure how. It's the inner voice of God. It was like, you're, you're right. You're missing. In fact, you're missing the whole thing. You're missing me. You're missing the God of history, the power and might of God's intervention in life. That's what this passage is about. It's not about getting shaped at this point. It's about not Moses' story. It's not about Israel. It's not even about Egypt. It's about the Lord of history showing himself. I will gain glory. And when I do, all peoples will know. That's what this passage is about. This crisis, it converges into this, this dizzying kaleidoscope of deliverance. A warrior angel, cloud, fire, darkness, light, wind, walls of water, a canyon right in the middle of it. A massive caravan. Can you imagine walking through that? Those walls of water on your right and your left. And then trained killing machine warriors in pursuit. Hebrew families with, with clubs and bows and arrows. Really? Bogged down chariots. And then this. Then this. A single solitary man. With his arms stretched. See, this is how God did it. Here is this man who had his own issues. He, was, he had his own screw-ups. Ex-con. I mean, this guy is not a great resume. But God had led him to this place where in this moment, he was like, I submit myself to your lordship. God, do in me, through me, what you want. I am yours. What a risk he took. He didn't say, draw your bow, folks. He stood and he raised his staff. See, this, is, this was the difference. That he was willing to stand up under God's command and do this thing that he'd asked him to do. Do you understand what God does through the heart of a woman and a man whose heart's fully surrendered to Jesus' lordship? We get a picture of it. During this whole exodus and all the trauma and drama that surrounds it, there's always been a deeper work, a deeper reality of God, always. And it's God's work that prevails at the party in the sea. Not the wind, not the fire, not the walls of water, not the death angels, not the chariots, not Pharaoh, not Moses. It was God. We have to learn that. We have to learn to focus on God. We've got to learn to look down at that deep work, not just the crisis on the surface. This is about the God we serve. 
And we have to be reminded of that reality that without faith it's impossible to see. So where is God in your time and place right now? He's shaping you. But this is the Lord of the universe we're talking about. This is one before whom we tremble. This is God who will gain glory for Himself. Will we participate? This is a God who wants to make Himself known through His people. God can do anything through a people, through a person whose heart is fully surrendered to His Lordship. Not a perfect person. Your resume be more checkered than Moses. It's not a, not a qualification. Is your heart fully surrendered to His Lordship? That's what God, this is about. Let me pray. We'll respond in worship. As I pray, rather than me use words, we're going to pray and be still for a moment. <clears throat> be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Let's just be still before Him for a minute and then, and then our team will lead us in worship. I want to pray. I want to pray before we transition into worship again. I want to pray for you, for us. I want to pray that we'll have those moments where we realize that He is Lord of my life, regardless of what's happening on the surface. I want to pray for you if you've not yet made Jesus the Lord of your life. That you will come to see that He is God and He wants to gain glory from your life. and He wants to make Himself known through your life. He wants to deliver you. He wants you to become a free person. His heart breaks for that. Not like His yet, but my heart breaks for that for you. God, as we worship in a moment, invite us to stand as we, as we with our bodies say, I will, be, I will stand and watch and acknowledge God's rightful place in my life 
as Lord of my life, as Lord of time and place, Lord of history. You are God. And we don't gather just because we're on some cool journey together. We, got, we gather and we worship because you are worthy of everything we can bring you. And we can even bring you our brokenness and you know what to do with it. We bring you our sin, our rebellion, the things that have separated us from you. We bring that before you and we trust that Jesus meets us there with his forgiveness that came through the cross, through him giving of himself, dying in our place out of love. We lift you high. That's our response today. We say you are Lord. If you're here and you, he's not your Lord, you've got to talk to somebody today if you're ready. I would be glad to talk to you. I'll be in the back person you came with talk to them it doesn't have to be me Father this moment we're still and we're acknowledging you are Lord would you just bring us in a common confession of your Lordship as we worship